In this episode of Mistaken Identity, Matt interviews Shiv Ramji, president of Customer Identity Cloud at Okta. At Okta, Shiv focuses on seamless and secure customer experiences. He's responsible for the Customer Identity Cloud product, data, security, and technology strategy, and execution. Today, Shiv describes the holistic customer journey, how to trust your product intuition, and why storytelling matters for building great products. Today's episode of Mistaken Identity is brought to you by Okta. We do identity so you can do you. Find us at Okta.com. Welcome to this week's episode of Mistaken Identity. I am very excited today to be joined by Shiv Ramji, who's president of Customer Identity Cloud at Okta. Shiv, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you join us today. I think you provide a lot of very relevant insight and experience, obviously, on customer identity in general. But I'm familiar with Okta. Obviously, we're both employees of Okta. But for our listeners, could you explain maybe a bit more about what Okta does and what your role as president of the Customer Identity Cloud at Okta entails? At the very basic level, what we're focused on at Okta is really to make sure we're giving you a seamless and secure experience. And how does that manifest itself? Well, there are a couple of use cases. Uh, and I'll start with sort of the most obvious ones or the ones that, that Okta sort of the products and company around, which was securing access for employees. So for example, many of us who go to work, there's, there's a good chance, if, especially if you're in the software industry or even other industries, you use like, you know, anywhere between 10 to 20 applications per day to get your job done. And so we provide sort of a seamless and secure way to access those applications in the cloud. The second one is uh, providing seamless and secure access for your customers. And your customers could be businesses, right? So for example, you might be a software company selling to other businesses. Another example is your customers are are your customers or consumers, meaning they're not businesses, but they're consumers accessing your your product uh, directly. So examples there include companies like Peloton or Headspace or Wall Street Journal or the different airlines and banks that we work with access all of those applications. And usually the front door or the gate is usually the login box. And mm-hmm. so we provide mm-hmm. a, a safe, sort of a seamless and secure way to access those uh, those applications. Eight out of 10 applications that you used uh, right before listening to this podcast was probably secured and powered by Okta in some way. So I'm, I'm, I'm just always blown away by... <laughs> The number of apps I am accessing every day, I'm like, oh yeah, they're a customer. It's fascinating that there are a lot of interactions that are happening on a daily basis, uh, that, that you are having on a daily basis, that are powered by our products. Okta's really experiencing cre- incredible growth. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, there's a really good chance that a lot of the applications that you already use today are powered by Okta in terms of that login experience. But what, what else do you think is really going into fueling Okta's incredible growth? Yeah, there's some some trends that obviously we are we're benefiting from. I think the 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 first one is just we're still very early in early stages of cloud adoption. Now the, the numbers are pretty large. I mean, if you just look at the the revenue from the these cloud platforms, it's pretty pretty mind boggling. But there is something like we're only like ten or twelve percent penetrated in this entire market, and so so just cloud adoption and digital transformation is sort of one big reason why we're experiencing growth. The second one is security is increasingly becoming complex. Attacks and malicious attackers and hackers are, are getting you know very, very clever and coming with all kinds of nefarious ways to 
to attack your systems or steal credentials from your customers and the like. And so, and so just security is, is really a big concern. Even in this environment where spending is generally being scrutinized, budgets are tighter, but you, you still see survey after survey in the industry that security is still a top area for, for spending. Specifically, identity within that context is really, really important. So security is, is a really big trend. The third one I would say is... Um, the realization that I think customers have come to, which is like, this stuff is just hard. Yeah. It is hard. And so I think a lot of customers end up realizing like, this is not something we want to we wanna build or manage. And over time, obviously, using a third-party service that's dedicated. I mean, we have 6,000 people who are dedicated to this problem. And so, so there is also this idea of like, you know, I don't want to build and manage this anymore. I mm-hmm. should just... I should just use um, a provider like Okta uh, so I can accelerate the innovation that matters to me. And then the other one just tends to be around, you know, there's a lot of changes happening in regulation and compliance. If you're in highly regulated industries, there are quite a bit of requirements, whether it's, you know, federal government or banks or healthcare. If you're opera- if you're a global company operating in different geographies, you have to abide by the different privacy laws. And those also are evolving quite a bit. And so customers don't want to necessarily keep up with all of that. It just costs a lot. And, uh, and, and that's why they sort of turn to providers like us to help them out. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's staying on that concept of security and that, that macro trend there for a while, because I think it's really important. If you think about how product managers can, can you know, improve the security of that user experience, what are some things you think that they should be thinking about implementing to improve the security of their application? So first, if you are using uh, usernames uh, and passwords, it's like just pretty crazy that in 2023, I still see uh, login experiences where they don't do basic password checks or hygiene. They don't provide uh, alert you if you're using a password that was uh, detected in a breach or in the dark web. And so those are some basics, right? Which is if you're going to use username and password, just make sure password hygiene, make sure that, you know, you're informing consumers if they're using a password that was detected in a breach. Like, you, you got to make sure that you are doing that. Then the second thing is, there's this usually misconception that if you enable this tighter security or better security, or in this case, let's just talk about step up authentication. If you had mm-hmm. MFA, for example, that friction is bad for the consumer and for your conversions and the like. And I think the myth there is that it's a compromise. Like if you try to get better security, you're going to compromise on on convenience. And if you try to keep the convenience, meaning frictionless experience, that you're going to give up on security. And I think our product specifically allows customers who are responsible for these login experiences they don't have to compromise between between the two. A lot of consumers today have these devices that that have biometrics on them, and so. I, I urge a lot of our customers and PMs who are working on on setting this up to build a passwordless experience from the get go. And so, whether that's you know using biometrics in the future, we, we will have the ability to use pass keys once they are they are rolled out on all of the platforms. I think those are sort of the the ways that um, at least we're encouraging customers to to think about and, and make sure that when they do implement, they're thinking about these um, these experiences and leveraging these new capabilities. Yeah, you hit on so many things there. You hit on obviously balancing those those really three forces, I think, together, the security, the privacy, and the convenience of the user experience altogether. That's such an important point. And you obviously also mentioned, I think, some things that folks can think about implementing in their application in order not only to improve security, but also to improve the customer experience. 
things like pass keys, you know, being less reliant on passwords in general, I think is the future that I want to sign up for. And that's something that I want to be, I want to be a part of for sure. Thinking about maybe the customer experience as well, because you gave us some really great insight into some of the security controls that product managers can implement in their application. What are some things that product managers who are building applications or maybe unifying that customer experience, what kinds of things can they do to make, you know, the customer experience so much better for their end users? It comes down to like, what are you, you need to think through all the pathways that your customers are going to uh, experience the product, where and when to get them to sign in or sign up. And there are a lot of specific details. Like, for example, a lot of times you'd, you'd, you'd think like, what's so complicated about a password reset flow? Well, it turns out when it's not done well, it can be very frustrating. So think of all of your customer journeys holistically and there are ways to, to really configure all of these touch points, whether it's sign up, sign in, reset flows, uh, when do you add step up authentication. And then this is just like the basics, right? Which is, is everything around the login box. And there is so much more that you have to do. So some common things that you can do once you've got the login box, right? Or you've got your identity, right? Which is think about progressive profiling. Mm. You know, there's so many experiences where, you know, when you're signing up, they'll ask you to fill out like 15 fields. Well, <laughs> nightmare. Well, why, why, do, why do I need to give uh, all of my information away, right? Uh, and I, I love this quote from our, our SVP of marketing, Carrie. She said, you know, setting up the login box is a little bit like, or signing up is a little bit of like dating. Like you don't give up your, all your details on the first date. <laughs> right? And so, so I like that. But that quote really stuck with me because yeah. it's like, you know, ask for information from consumers in return for something. So for example, if we asked uh, a developer signing up to a product and say, hey, can you tell us more about maybe your experience or the languages that you're using or the stack you're building, then we can offer them an amazing onboarding experience because essentially we will give them the SDKs or onboarding guides that are relevant to the application or stack or language that they're they're focused on. So that is a good use of collecting information in return for something. And so I think you have to think about progressive profiling in that way. And, and you don't have to collect all this information up front. You can do it progressively over time. So that tends to be like something that product managers may not think about right away when they're setting up a login experience, but it's something that you may do down the line. The other thing that product managers don't often think about is they'll look at overall analytics for their application. And a lot of times they don't look at the drop-off that's happening on mm-hmm. sign up or login. And so I think you know we're doing more and more to provide insights to our customers to understand the full funnel. What are the bounce rates? Like where are customers dropping off? What geographies are they dropping off from? So I think that's a really important part to get right to, which is understanding the analytics around your, your login flow. Finally, also when login systems are done well, you know they can really inform, uh, you know, things like doing A/B tests. They they power that experience down the line too. And so I think, hopefully, I'm highlighting what starts out as like designing a login box and the branding around it quickly becomes a lot more complex. And over time, you're using this information or identity from a login box to power a lot of the experiences uh, down the line. Yeah, one of the things that really resonated for me in what you said there is this concept of a value exchange between the customer and the brand or the business, right? I think that's really important because we think about like, 
privacy and we think about the protection of data and the third-party cookies going away and it becoming harder to build a customer profile. And privacy doesn't mean the death of personalization, right? And customers, they want to provide their information to better personalize their experience, provided there's a value exchange there. It just needs to be done in a consent-forward way so that your customers know what that data is being used for, that, as you mentioned, you're building trust with them over time. Things like progressive profiling can really help with that. You don't want to ask a massive field at login or sign up. That's a terrible experience for everyone. But if you could do that over time and build up the consent, it's consent forward, you can build up the data and the customer knows what it's being used for. And then you can create personalization that builds that value exchange. I think that's really key. And that's something that really stuck out for me in what you said there. Thinking about how customers really like how businesses can leverage customer identity to improve things like adoption, retention, engagement of their products overall, right? You talked about a few of these things, but maybe just more concretely, what are some strategies that product managers can use to leverage customer identity, that knowledge in order to provide a better customer experience overall? You know, progressively profiling customers. So that's personalization. We've kind of touched on that. You can do that. I talked about sort of analytics and how that powers sort of A-B testing. So that, that's the other, other thing is, you know, you constantly want to market to your customers. And so one other downstream capability of customer identity is that, you know, you're able to connect to downstream business systems. So you, now you may be thinking, well, what, what business systems are those? Several. So let's start with, you know, you may be signing up customers that you want to sell to later. So you might be using a CRM system. So we provide integrations with different CRM systems. So that's one example. Another example is you may be signing up users or maybe signing up users so that they can try a product later or you want to market to them or notify them. So there is ongoing customer marketing that you're doing. So in this case, we would connect to... There are other uh, additional systems you may want to think about. So for example, if you're selling a product that requires identity verification, so say for example, you're an app, that's selling, that's delivering wine to every state in the U.S. Uh, well, state laws require you to verify the age of the purchaser, and so you may want to implement some identity verification into your into your application or when when the consumer is is making a purchase. And so that might be another interesting sort of connection that you may do uh, to make sure that you're able to verify whether somebody's eligible to purchase alcohol, tobacco, or mm-hmm. what have. Uh, there are other system, uh, interesting systems too. Like there are certain class of products that get, um, you know, they get a lot of abuse. So for example, when I was at DigitalOcean, we used to have a lot of customers who would uh, steal credit cards. Uh, we had a lot of hackers rather would steal different credit card information and come in and sign up for cloud computing. So we, we also had like uh, free credits. So they would abuse those credits, and then sometimes they would they would pay for uh, cloud computing using the stolen credit cards. So they're a pretty big uh, fraud and abuse team, and so so there are a lot of products that have these class of problems, and so you may actually connect to a fraud and abuse detection system, and again, that may be uh, a connection you make uh, immediately with your customer identity uh, implementation. So, and in all of this, I think you can see. Like customer identity plays such a central role, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you don't get that right, you're not going to be able to do all of these other downstream things. And so I think it's it's really critical to make sure that you implement this correctly, uh, so that you can get the benefits of of all of these other use cases and and needs that you know either your team has or or 
or some other stakeholder team that may that, that may care about identity while central to delivering all of these things it's really complex right for all the things that you just mentioned you need to think about sso you need to think about mfa you need to think about social logins and how you connect to a crm as an example right i like to think about it as almost the cross stitch right at the front of it is this amazing you know application interface and it's got you know a beautiful picture of a cat you know in a sunset but the behind it is is this spider web of connections and systems and all of these integrations and things that your internal team needs to maintain and that complexity is is huge and it really starves innovation. And I'd love your thoughts on like how do you balance innovation and delivering new products when you're thinking about building systems? Yeah, that's a really good question. And by the way, I might add to what you just said. You have to do all of this complex uh, spider web behind the beautiful cat photo that, that you mentioned. <laughs> uh, great reference, by the way. Um, could be a dog. It doesn't yeah, matter. I'm not dog, partial. Yeah. Turtles, yeah, whatever you like. <laughs> whatever you're into, I, I agree. <laughs> but, uh, but I think uh, I, what I want to build there is, by the way, you have to do all of this in, in, in very low latency in milliseconds. Right, like all of these web of connections, tokens, the customization or the fraud and abuse look. These things have to happen within within milliseconds because your consumers aren't going to be waiting and on the login page, right? So, so I think that's really important. It's it's not only that you have to do all these complex things, but you do them at at low latency, mm-hmm. at pretty high scale, depending on the type of product that you have, and then you need all of your login systems to be up and reliable, meaning it's. If, if your login box is down, you're toast. Like your customers can replace any of your products, right? So, so I think I just wanted to add that that I, I think a lot of teams that I talk to often overlook the complexity of scale, availability, low latency, and it's really hard to build systems that can do that. So, mm-hmm. back to your question around around how do I balance innovation with mm-hmm. maybe more table stakes that that we're working on? I think you know. So when you're building an enterprise product. Even, you know, we have 12, 24-month roadmaps that we communicate to our customers. But I, I always sort of know that, you know, about 20% of that roadmap will, will need to change. And what I mean by yep. that is when you're building products for enterprises, you need to have some flexibility. So, for example, you may have a feature that you've slated two, three quarters out. But the nature of selling to enterprises, sometimes maybe that feature is required sooner for a customer or for a prospect. And so you have to sort of move things around. A portion of your roadmap will be governed by some unique case that, that initially only is required for one or two customers. And then later down the line, you, you may realize, wow, this is an emerging pattern. So we may want to do this for, for everyone, right? And productize it. So, so that's one sort of principle that I encourage our teams to have. The second one on, on innovation is, in general, I ask all teams to innovate. And the thing, the biggest misconception I see within teams about innovation is it's this new shiny thing. Like it has to be this amazing, like big bang thing. You know, not all companies are Apple and introducing an iPhone or, or, or a new, you know, <laughs> new, it, new goggles. It, yeah. Of course, that is new and, and big, bold innovation, of course, but innovation happens every day. And so I encourage our teams to think about innovation at all levels and all sizes. So for example, recently I asked our team, you know, we were doing some optimizations for our platform. And just like every other companies, you know, they're looking at their cloud span and optimizing the platforms. And so we tasked our engineering teams to think about ways we can uh, reduce our cloud footprint and cost. And 
we just said, hey, you know, this is generally the goal that we want to go after. Or any and all creative ideas are welcome. And so the team <laughs> independently sort of figured out creative ways to reduce our cloud costs. And there is creativity and innovation there already, right? Now, we don't call that innovation or, or mm-hmm, you may not mm-hmm. be labeled it that way, but but really that's what it is. So we encourage everybody to do things like that uh, in small ways every day within their sprints. And then we also have, at least in our business, we we do have problems that you know, probably reside beyond that 18 to 24 month roadmap or timeline that we have. And so we have a small labs team that's constantly thinking about new technologies, new experiences, and new innovations that we can incubate there. And then once they're ready, sort of bring them back. So one example of this model that we implemented, so we, you know, this team sort of uh, took on the challenge of building a scalable authorization solution. So they looked at the Zanzibar paper from Mm -hmm. Google, which was published. They took that paper and then essentially built an open source product out of it. And and so now the team is working on uh, bringing their product. It's currently in early access in beta and will be going to general availability later this year. So that is an example of like incubating something completely, completely new that was on a different t- timeline and horizon. And so we had a dedicated team sort of go uh, figure figure that out. So so we do have sort of different models for uh, for innovation depending on the needs and what necessitates that. But I think the, the biggest one is, I think, encouraging innovation at all levels and in all teams. On and that's all around fine-grained authorization. That's yeah. the example that you just yeah. gave there, Google's Zanzibar project. Yeah, I think there's... You know, you mentioned obviously scale and response time, and that's one of the components and elements really around fine-grained authorization is developing that authorization at scale. I think that's a really cool thing that the team has uh, has developed. What about uh, even thinking about some of the things that the product delivery team at Okta has has really delivered from a customer identity cloud perspective over the last year? What would you say like you're you're most proud of of the team? In addition to, I think the fine-grained authorization, some of those elements. We have sort of focused, you know, in general, identity is a is a horizontal problem, meaning regardless of what geography you're in, what vertical, what size of company, your, your needs tend to be similar. But in certain regulated industries, I'd mentioned earlier, there are some specific APIs that are coming up and protocols that we need to support that are very unique to financial services. So our audience may have heard of open banking or just concepts of open finance in general. So the financial services industry is being sort of disrupted at all levels. And there is this idea that, you know, consumers want to own their data, they want to make data portable. And so there are a lot of standards coming out, especially in Europe and Asia Pacific, there's sort of open banking adoption. One of the things I'm uh, really excited about is that we we took a very intentional approach to, to solving for this vertical. And so uh, our roadmap around supporting open finance in general and all the standards that come along with, you know, FAPI profiles and PSD2 and and open banking protocol is sort of uh, uh, is really really exciting. So we, we've we've started delivering on that. We currently have a beta running uh, for a few customers, and so I think that's really really uh, exciting to to be able to bring that capability and serve this this segment well uh, and this emerging trend of open finance. That's really cool. And obviously, we have a whole team that's working on just solving that one challenge, right? What would be the risk or what would be some of the challenges of a company trying to do this with their own in-house team? 
just the heavy lift of supporting all these protocols and keeping up with them is 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 a lot of work. That mm-hmm. just that work alone would consume a few engineers on your team. And so, and not to mention all the other aspects, right? But you know, scale, privacy, consent, like all of the things that we're talking about. This would easily consume a few engineers uh, if you were going to do this on your own. And then you have to keep up with all the updates. Not to mention. Uh, security patches and vulnerabilities, right? So, so we we handle all of that for our customers. So that really takes the burden away from them. What they really care about is implementing this amazing consumer experience that they want to deliver from a financial services perspective, and, and not have to worry about you know strong customer authentication and supporting all these different protocols. And then keeping up with the security updates and patches there just is, is a lot of work. So anyway, so that there is a body of work around supporting financial services that I think I'm really excited about and we've done some really amazing work and continue to to do so. So that's something customers can use mm-hmm. and can experience once we roll that out. The second area I think that I'm really excited about, it's being delivered in parts, but, but I want to share like the full vision and I'll share what we've done to date. So one of the things that we want to do is we are constantly helping security professionals or CISOs and SecOps teams with by protecting them from breaches and attacks and the like. One of the beautiful things about the product is uh, once you turn that on, it just does it for you. So it's protecting you from millions of bot attacks on a daily basis. So the thing that we ultimately want to deliver, or at least I challenge the team to work, think through, is that, look, CISOs are really stretched. They are mm-hmm. constantly being attacked and cybersecurity threats are everywhere. And they usually don't have uh, enough teams or may not have enough budgets. And a lot of these cyber attacks become a board concern. So how might we empower the the, the CISO or the security champion, whether they're a SecOps, and, and make them the hero, right? So that mm-hmm. was sort of the, the, the problem statement. The end state being... Wouldn't it be nice if you're a CISO of a, of, a, of a global company and you get an email in your inbox on a Friday from Okta that says, hey, don't worry. These are the types of attacks that you had on your platform. We you know, we blocked 99% of them or 100% of them. And mm-hmm. you know, you can sleep easy tonight. You know, your whole tenant and setup is is protected. If we do this, you know, whether it's every Friday, monthly, quarterly reporting, I bet you CISOs will take this report into board meetings, into audit committees and say, hey, look, I work with a vendor that really protects us and supports us. So that's the end state that we want to deliver. But the thing that we've just released recently is called Security Center. Mm. It's a very uh, intuitive, simple way to uh, to visualize uh, how your identity security set up and how these products that you've enabled and how they're working for you and, and on your behalf. We've got a lot of customers who are excited about that. And again, we this is just like the first step of many to get to that end state vision. I'm really excited that I think uh, in the next, uh, you know, if I project out in a year or so, we will have all these amazing tools and analytics and systems and reporting for CISOs so that uh, they can be the hero and, the ch- and, and make them the champion. Uh, or make them the heroes in in these very difficult uh, situations. I feel like that's such an important point with CISOs. They have so much to think about, right? From network to endpoint to cloud to containers to identity and phishing and breaches and all these things that keep them up at night. Like, I, I often think, you know, vendors need to think about 
providing soft pillows so they can sleep at night. And Security Center, I do yeah. view as one of those soft pillows because I think it's it gives you visibility into an area of the business that CISOs are typically blind to or that they, they don't have the ability to see. And identity level threats, especially credential-related threats, is like the number one attack vector. And a lot of a lot of the CISOs don't have visibility into that, which is is just it's crazy. So Security Center obviously giving that visibility, I think, is really important for providing that soft pillow for CISOs, but also looking at other ways that we can elevate the visibility and make that, like you said, a, a real strong boardroom opportunity, not even a challenge. For It's really the boardroom now has the opportunity to look across the posture and say, what is going on with my identity security? And something really cool too that I think the team just introduced as well is the identity threat level, right? right? Which in a similar fashion to Security Center, it's looking at automated attacks like you know scripted attacks, credential stuffing, bot attacks specifically, and helping to provide a metric on the likelihood that a bot attack is going to hit a region, an industry, right? right? Like healthcare yep. or retail, et cetera. And that makes it even more relevant for the CISOs as well when you do take that level of reporting to say, we stopped all these bot attacks. And also, here's how our peers are being targeted by automated attacks and yeah. what we need to do to, to further tune our defenses, I just think is so critical for that audience. The thing is, usually you're a CISO in a boardroom when things are bad. And I want to flip that. Like, no, how about the other 99% of the time when things were protected, were blocked, we were in a better position. So I think just visibility into that kind of makes, uh, makes their job uh, easier. And the, the, the last thing I'll talk about in, in terms of innovation and stuff, and this is something that happens behind the scenes, so might be a, a very technical uh, a part of this this discussion, but I, but I want to share it nonetheless because I'm incredibly proud of the work that our team has done here, which is we've been working on a complete revamp of our, our platform that powers our products. And so we've been migrating our customers over from sort of legacy platforms onto the, to the new one. And the thing I'm proud about, uh, proud of the most there is, you know, we're able to deliver better availability and uptime and reliability. We're able to scale the products pretty significantly. So if you're a consumer app growing like crazy or you have seasonal traffic, we're able to handle pretty impressive scale as a result uh, of that. And it also comes with really cool disaster recovery uh, and failover options, right? And so if you're buying a product, kind of like batteries included, like there's a lot of stuff that's that's... Mm-hmm that's coming uh, with that platform that that really makes uh, the whole product uh, that much more uh, uh, reliable um, and robust. So so that's a little bit under the covers, not visible to anybody, but still worth calling out the benefits to our customers. Yeah, I feel like the, the product folks listening to this episode will really appreciate that as well. Additionally, for maybe the product folks as well, just thinking about the folks that are building applications or experiences or new products in general, one of the things that I think like product managers, product delivery folks often struggle with is, how do I know I'm building the right thing? Yeah. I'll share some insights from... Uh, the, the, again, these are some product philosophies that I have um, that might be counter to maybe what you may have heard from other leaders. And I, and I think a lot of times if you're an early stage company or product, like you may not have that many customers. And so mm. a lot of the decisions you're going to make there are out of the qualitative or anecdotal research, maybe just your gut instinct to get to sort of a product market fit. So kind of a different set of problems there. You're not going to have a lot of data. I think your qualitative and intuition kind of matters a lot. 
if you are a product that is product market fit and you know hundreds or even thousands of customers or hundreds of thousands of customers, it's a different problem, right? So you're going to switch to probably 70% of the decisions you're going to make will be you know quantitative information. Like you have insights, you have analytics, you have usage data, and you can make those decisions. I still believe for a product manager, again, there's a 70% of the decisions you, you'll make that will have hard data. About... 10 to 15 will be qualitative information, right? I did some research, I sent out a survey, you know, 14 people responded. So, you know, I feel feel good that we're going in the right direction. And then there is still a portion of decisions and I, you know, it's anywhere between 10 to 15% that as a product leader or product manager, that comes down to your, your intuition, your gut. And I like to say it's it's like taste, like what mm-hmm. you can't just read yeah. books and, and become a product manager <laughs> yeah. out of the gate. Uh, it's usually great product uh, leaders or managers have good taste in the end. And so I think when you're building products, there's a portion of decisions that will come down to your intuition, your experience, or your taste of what good looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so that's how I think of like using data to make decisions and using data to essentially know whether you're going after the right outcome. Yeah, 70% of the decisions that we are making, there there is hard evidence and data and analysis behind it. I would say still 15% of the decisions we make, probably based on research or survey or more qualitative information. And I still make 10 to 15% of the decisions on a daily basis that are just about just having good product taste or product sense. Yeah. And and I think having good taste or even good judgment, like you mentioned, is such an underrated product management skill as well, right? Yeah. What what are some other underrated product management skills you think uh, are are really good for product managers to have? Great product managers are really good at aligning the team. And a big portion of your job is to take messy data or insights or information or feedback from customers, from internal teams, and really boiling it down to the essence that matters and then aligning the team around around that inside. You you got to be a great communicator and a great storyteller. Behind every great product that you know or that you use or have experienced, there is great storytelling behind it. Product managers don't necessarily think of that as their job and I think it's really critical. You have to be a storyteller for your own internal teams, for your stakeholders, for your partner teams such as marketing, all the way to externally to customers. You gotta be able to to pitch and, and tell the story of uh, why you're doing what you're doing or, or why this product needs to exist. And so I think those are some underrated skills that, that you know product managers don't think about that I think are, are worth highlighting. I, I love that storytelling component. I think that is so critical. And even outside of product management, I think it's critical in business in general is telling great stories, right? In a product concept, People don't buy the product, they buy the story, like the story, the outcome, how it's going to make my life easier, how it's going to take me on this journey from the problem I have today to the solution or the outcome it's going to drive. That's really what they're buying at the end of the day is is that story. I think that's such a good point, such an underrated skill. Really good. Thinking a bit about the future and, you know, just innovation and some things that maybe you're excited about for this year for Okta and for the product delivery team. What are some things that you're really pumped about? What gets you excited, you know, when you're thinking about the future and some things in the industry that you really think is going to help our customers and us tell great stories? Seeing the evolution of past keys, uh, I think is, is really, really important. 
Uh, it really helps us to get to this passwordless future that we want to that, we, that we're all striving for. So I'm I'm really excited about uh, about that and supporting that. The second one is around some of the evolution that's happening around what what I call identity data that's locked in the analog or offline world. And so mm. examples of that tend to be obviously your driver's license or state ID passports, visas, and so on and so forth. So we, we have this concept that we have been experimenting with sort of verifiable credentials now uh, for a while. And I think as uh, these new platforms such as, uh, I think Apple and, and Google are working on this, you know, they're going to be onboarding more and more states to have your ID kind of uh, available in your um, phone wallet, in your digital wallet. And I think that's the beginning of, uh, of a journey of onboarding a lot of uh, inf- identity information that's locked up in offline silos to become digital. And so I'm pretty bullish that there's going to be a time when you're going to be able to pick and choose what data you want to share with with an app and, and what type of verification you want to provide. And you'll be able to use, you know, just your phone your or your apps, do all of it. Um, and so I think that's really, really exciting and what's exciting about that, if you're a product manager and, or if you're just a listener, is that you'll be able to build these amazing experiences. I mean, can you imagine no more walking around with your paper transcripts and degrees and med- insurance cards and, and identity, state ID cards? I mean, imagine all of that in your in your digital wallet and you having the capability to decide what information you would like to share with an application and for what purposes. So I'm, I'm really excited about what that world looks like and what role we can play in that to make sure that we're making uh, it easy for our customers to deliver these seamless experiences, but then also making sure that consumers get to experience. I love that. Like verifiable credentials just in general. And I think the digitization of of analog credentials as you kind of manage that uh, I mentioned, that's such a, an amazing, you know, potential. I think uh, of that technology there, right? Where you really get to meet your customers where they are, enable them to log into the applications in understood ways based on how they want to log in, and making it really easy for them to do that. Not everyone's going to have a Facebook account. Not everyone's going to have a phone number. So, from an experience perspective and even a security perspective, I think you know leveraging that concept of verifiable credentials to really meet the, your customers with that experience where they are at that right time, I think is, is really exciting. What about uh, maybe a, a really high-level technology trend that you're interested in or something that you're, you're watching that you think is going to really impact the, uh, the industry? Uh, we're all uh, engulfed with the, the AI wave. Uh, it's, so it's, it's, a pre- it's a prerequisite, I think, for the show. You have to say AI. You have to say AI. <laughs> How many times have you said, okay, we, we got one. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm only joking, but I think I think no, I, I think it is. I think the excitement is is real. I think the benefits uh, are pretty impactful and when done well. Look, there are a lot of issues around AI and and ethics and copyright and ownership and and a whole bunch of stuff, which I'm not going to litigate here. But I think what I am going to highlight is that there's obviously internal efficiency. So so there is that, but I think we can also build better product experiences. So. My, my team and I, we are experimenting with a few concepts already, already, and I'm excited that, you know, in about a, uh, a quarter or two, we will have stuff to share about how we are bringing this, this 
the power of large language models or to improve sort of the product experience. And it could be everything from like, you know, giving you better answers, mm-hmm. helping you set up your apps quickly, maybe better onboarding, even better support. I mean, there are so many areas that we can, we can embed AI into our products to make the product that much better. So it's something that is top of mind. I, uh, I'm thinking about it quite a bit. We're experimenting and we're playing with different concepts. Yeah, looking forward to introducing some of that into our products uh, into into the future roadmap. It's super exciting. A couple, couple uh, quick, fun questions, and then we'll get you on your way here. What's something you're either watching or reading right now? Well, uh, I just ended Succession, so uh, oh, I, yes. uh, everybody's been been watching awesome. Succession. And there's a joke running around that we could have our own because uh, my name is Shiv, and they're like, "Hey, we already have a Shiv on the team." Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. So that, and then in terms of reading, I've been reading uh, Green Lights, which is uh, mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey's sort of uh, bumper sticker style memoir, I guess. Uh, it's really funny. So I, 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 I'm, I'm enjoying that. I'll have to check that out. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would that be? I, I think New York. I mean, where I live, typically New York is, uh, is pretty good. But if I had to have a second choice, uh, I love Spain. So mm. anywhere in Spain would be, would be lovely. Very nice. Last question. Where can the listeners, everyone find you online? Where's the best spot? Twitter. Uh, that's where I'm the most uh, active and uh, I consume a lot of content and, and, and you know, post every once in a while. So, so Twitter is the best place to find me. And I don't, I, I don't know what I was thinking when I was creating my handle, but it's uh, the handle is at ThinkShiv. Don't ask me why I came up with that because it'll be embarrassing probably. <laughs> um, so that's where you can, you can find me. There you go. So mention Shiv on Twitter, ask him where he came up with this handle, engage in the conversation. Shiv, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Mistaken Identity Podcast. Really great conversation. And thanks to everyone who tuned in today. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mistaken Identity. This podcast is brought to you by Okta, the world's identity company. Your customers deserve a streamlined, secure experience from the get-go. Learn more at okta.com slash customer ID.